Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's 30 with Murdy with your host, Sweeney Murdy. Welcome back, everyone. I hope you're all staying safe in these tough times, praying for your family and friends who've been affected by the coronavirus. We've all been touched in some way, at the very least, this disruption to our normal lives, and at its worst, by the loss of a friend or loved one. I'll share a story about that with you towards the end here, but my goal with this podcast and all the content I've been providing online at WFAN.com and on Twitter is generally to entertain and distract. That's kind of what we do best in the sports world anyway, is distract from the troubles in our real lives. And even though it's gotten harder to do without real sports, I am finding ways to do that with what are hopefully some fun and interesting conversations here on 30 with Murdy and with some of the columns I'm providing on the WFAN site. You can find links to all of that on my Twitter page at Yankees WFAN. Along those lines, nobody excels in the field of sports and pop culture entertainment in my industry quite like Peter Boddy of the New York Post. Peter has been writing about sports in New York for a long time. Now in his fourth decade of it, he spent a bulk of that at the New York Daily News and is now back at the Post where his career began. Pete covered the Yankees as a beat writer for three seasons in the late 90s dynasty era for the Daily News, and it's only part of what qualifies him to write the book that is available now titled The Big 50 New York Yankees, The Men and Moments That Made the New York Yankees. It's from Triumph Books. You can get it anywhere books are sold. It's a fun read and a great reference really for Yankee fans of all ages. But Pete is also known for his pop culture acumen and his recent work in the New York Post is a testament to that, chronicling, recommending, and reviewing the great sports movies of our time things that we can watch over and over again in normal times, and of course now without real sports to watch. And if you've heard any of my recent episodes with Angelo Pizzo, Mark Charty, or D.B. Sweeney, you know how much I adore sports movies and their place in our world without games. So first, a peek inside Pete's new book, The Big 50, and please stay tuned for a tribute to our friend and colleague, Anthony Causey. Here's my conversation with Peter Boddy. Pete, the first thing I want to ask you is how hard was it to come up with only 50? I know other teams have uh, have done this book in this series, but the Yankees aren't other teams. They obviously have a richer history and a lot more to choose from. What were some of the difficult decisions you had in making this a list of only 50? You're exactly right, Sweeney. Uh, 50 for the Yankees is unlike any other team, maybe in, in all of sports. Um, Triumph Books has done this series now for a few years, and they – 
they they sent me a couple of examples you know when i signed on to 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 do the book and they sent me like as one of the examples i mean they sent me the red Sox, which is you know a, a team rich in tradition but they also sent me like the minnesota twins and you know you could be the number 25 guy in the history of the minnesota twins and you wouldn't crack the top 500 when it comes to the yankees so so the way i attacked it was um, I decided right away, especially with 27 championships and so many Hall of Famers and big names and perfect games and no hitters, that I, what I decided to do was put all of, say, Babe Ruth's uh, great moments and feats in, in one chapter, and that's chapter one. And then Gehrig is chapter two. And, uh, you know, Jeter gets his own chapter. Mariano gets his own chapter. And I put all of their all of their great moments in, in an individual chapter. And then I had separate chapters on some of the championship seasons and um, you know, David Wells, perfect game, David Cohn's perfect game, Reggie's three Homer game in the world series, those kind of things. Um, you know, those moments got their own chapters, but for the big guys, DiMaggio, Jeter, Yogi, I gave them each their own chapter and just kind of included all of their moments in those chapters. You know, and you're also talking about guys who've had, you know, two, three, 400 page books written about them. So to kind right. of capsulize these guys, the Mount Rushmore guys like Ruth and Gehrig in four or five pages, that's its own little uh, exercise there, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I could have written, I could have written 50,000 words on Jeter alone or on Babe Ruth alone. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, so you kind of have to just go in and out uh, of these chapters and let, and let's face it, we're not going to break a whole lot of new ground on on figures that have been documented mm -hmm. so much over the years. Um, I tried to kind of give each one a, a kind of a new spin, talk about maybe movies that were made about them or try to talk, you know, because when you talk, you, there's really nobody to talk to with some of these older players, even in the mantle generation. Now there's not a lot of guys left to talk to who play with those guys. So you try to get um, like, for instance, in the Mickey Mantle chapter, I talked to Bob Costas, who I knew was a big mantle fan growing yeah. up. I talked to Chaz Palminteri, and that, and it ended up, it ended up being uh, a great, thoughtful uh, forward that he ended up doing for the book, um, along with Bernie Williams. Uh, so I feel like I really kind of hit home runs with those two guys uh, writing the forwards uh, alongside me with the book. Um, but yeah, you know, like Chaz Palminteri has all the stuff about mantle in a Bronx tale and things like that. So I wanted to get kind of a fresh take on some of those guys, and uh, you know, I feel like, I feel like. It, it encompasses pretty much all of it. I mean, from the time Ruth got traded for in, in 1920 to to this past season, 2020, with the with the young guys and then their quest now for a World Series whenever we get back to baseball, um, it's really a full century of Yankee history. I want to know who missed the cut. Who was number 51, 52? What were those moments for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like when I started, I had a list of about 80 to 100 men and moments that I want that I, and, and seasons that I, that I thought would get their own chapter. I mean, there's some guys who are Hall of Famers, guys like Earl Combs and Joe Gordon and even Mike Mussina more recently who don't get their own chapters because it just it just can't work. So, I mean, I have Earl Combs within the 27 Yankees chapter and you're right about you know, Mike Mussina in some of the chapters of, of, of that era when he was here. Um, Joe Gordon, the same thing. You know, I, I had to kind of bunch the some of the championship years. I couldn't do a separate chapter on each of the championship years. So say, for instance, the um, 49 to, to 53, the, the five in a row, 
you put them all as one chapter and just kind of talk about those teams in that group. Um, so, th- so that's how you, that's how I had to do it. That's how I had to kind of narrow it down. Because, right, it's just 50 with the Yankees is a daunting task. You know, one of the things I've always thought that the Yankees should do with their young players was teach them who they are. I always feel like one of the great disconnects is that players come up to the Yankees, put on the uniform, they talk about what it means to wear the pinstripes, but the fans in the seats and the fans watching at home are much more well-versed in the history of the organization. And listen, there are good reasons why. You know, uh, We spend a lot of time absorbing all that stuff, reading about it, watching videos. You know, the guys who play for the team, they spent their time playing. They became good at playing. So it's not fair necessarily to ask them to know all these things that we knew because we read the backs of baseball cards while they were out swatting home runs on sandlots. But I still feel the Yankees kind of owe it to their players to know what the connection is and what type of brand they are carrying on. And in that regard, I find the, the book that you wrote and the format for it is kind of perfect as a textbook for young Yankees and say, this is who the Yankees are. Learn the uniform that you're putting on. Like I always say, I, I make the example like, you know, McDonald's wouldn't hire you if you didn't know what a Big Mac was. You know, Apple wouldn't hire if you if you never heard of an iPod. You should know something about who you're representing. And I feel like a book like this kind of really captures that, Pete. Uh, I, I mean, that that was kind of the goal, Sweeney, was to kind of be able to have it all in one place. There's been so many Yankee books written over the years, but I feel like this was one of those that I could really get into specific, you know, specific players and specific managers that you might, you know, that, that people might've glossed over. I mean, it's like with anything else, right? Like I have kids in their twenties. It's a recency bias kind of a thing, you know, sure. and when you, you go to old timers day now, who gets the biggest ovations, right? Bernie Williams, Hideki Matsui, yep. even people like that, you know, they, they politely applaud for, you know, in recent years and before some of them passed, but Yogi and, and Whitey Ford, and they would get kind of a respectful applause more Correct. than a raucous applause that Bernie Williams would get or or Matsui or, somebody like that or all the guys from those championship teams, uh, you know, of the, of the nineties and into the two thousands. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I feel like this is something the younger fans, especially who did, who may have heard the names, but don't know a lot of those stories that this, that this kind of book hopefully appeals to them, uh, to, to learn about that history. And it's funny, you mentioned, uh, you know, the Yankee, the Yankee players coming up through the system. They should hold like a, like a school, like a school class. Absolutely. Right. Where they actually, you know, put up on the, on the projector or on the, whatever they, whatever they use now in schools, I have yeah. no idea, but, but to, but to use those kind of things and, and teach about those players, the 27 Yankees, the, the four, the teams that won four in a row in the, in the, in the late thirties with DiMaggio and all his teammates. And then the, the, the team that won five in a row, but bridging the forties and the fifties, and then all the mantle and Barrett teams. And even really the, the Reggie, you know, the, the, these players know Reggie yep. Jackson because he's around yep. and Gidry people like that, but they probably don't know a lot about, Greg Nettles, even Bucky Dent, you know, so I feel like that would be a really a worthwhile thing. It'd be kind of fun to sit in on a class like that. I I would volunteer to run a class like that. And I've actually mentioned this topic to people around the organization is saying, you know, it does, I just think it would benefit them to spread their brand. They try to do it all the time to the fans. I think it would help in some regard to just spend 10 minutes a day telling them about different parts of their history. I want to know, listen, you've covered the Yankees for a long time and you know, the recency bias kind of fits with us too, because you know, we know more about the ones, the, the parts of the history that we lived through which 
part of this that you didn't live through was the most fun for you to research? Which player or part of the era or part of the history did you enjoy reading up more on because you 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 didn't live through it? There was a there was a lot of them, but um, like I'm fa- I'm fascinated by Mantle and and how kind of this that whole generation just revered him to to the nth degree. You know, it, like it's just it's amazing to me. Like we don't see that in baseball anymore. Like I feel like Mickey Mantle was like one of the last kind of true American sports heroes. Yeah. Right. And, and, and obviously part of it was the flaws that he had and the injuries that he played through. And, and later we learned about the drinking and all that sort of stuff. But I feel like Mickey was a guy and you talk, when you talk to people, talk to Larry David and talk to Bob Costas and talk to, you know, anybody that played with or against Mickey. And there's just this sort of reverence and those kind of stories were I thought really uh, fun uh, to listen to another one that I would like to add though, is cause you turned me on to this interview, but, uh, Matt Dahlgren, whose grandfather replaced Lou Gehrig yeah. at first base for the Yankees and was standing next to him when Gehrig gave the speech in 1939, uh, Matt Dahlgren wrote a book of several years ago about his grandfather and stories that his grandfather told him through, through the years about Gehrig and about replacing him. And even like growing up in San Francisco and playing against Joe DiMaggio, yeah before he got to the Yankees. Um, it's really, I, that was a really interesting uh, interview. And I, and I, that was one of the things that I, like I tried, like I said before, I tried to make, give kind of a fresh take on some of, on some of these older events. There, you know, you were lean on so many people to tell you stories like that of things that you weren't there for, like you talk about. And a guy that crosses two very important eras uh, for the Yankees is Willie Randolph because he was a player and he was a coach uh, I haven't gone through the whole book, but the parts I've gone through, Willie is almost a co-star uh, along with you. He seems to have given you a lot of really good detail about the two main eras he's, he was involved with. Yeah, he was one of them, and Roy White was another one who okay. played played kind of at the end of Mantle and Maris's career. He came up, played with those guys, and then he was on the championship teams. But you're right, Willie was a great resource. We talked for probably almost an hour uh, over the summer last year, and we went through him showing up in, in, you know, 75, 76, getting back to the world series, then being on those teams in 77, being there for, for Reggie's three home run game, being there for Gidry's 25 win season in 1978, being there playing alongside Don Manningly, being on the team when Yogi Berra got fired. Um, there, there's just a lot of moments that he was there for. And yes, obviously he was a, a third base coach on those nineties championship teams. So he was there for the, for the 96 world series and the 114 win regular season in 98 and all the, all the, you know, the 99 finishing it off and the 2000 subway series against the Mets who he later managed. Um, so yeah, so it was, Willie was a, was a great resource and he really, he loves to talk about that stuff. And I, I really enjoyed, uh, you know, having him be a part of it. Yeah. I'm just thinking now as we're talking, what he crossed, he played, he was a teammate of Thurman Munson. He was there when Don Mattingly came up and he was there when Derek Jeter came up and right. you know, that's hitting, that's hitting, uh, uh, really big chords as far as touching Yankee history there. My personal favorite chapter that I've found so far is the one on Reggie Jackson, because I saw my name in it. Uh, I'm only <laughs> kidding. It's, uh, you picked a, a piece of an interview I did with, um, with Reggie last year about going to London. So thanks for that. Uh, thanks for the pop in there. But I know your favorite chapter to write and go through uh, was the one that crosses this um, 
the sports and pop culture that you and I talk so much about and that you've you've created your own little niche and we'll talk to that about that in a minute but getting to talk about George Costanza as New York Yankee and Larry David's part in it uh, tell me about the process of putting that together putting that in the book as opposed to one of these other people we talked about that missed the cut and how much fun it was for you well I did say to myself from the very beginning that I wanted to do this chapter. And some people have actually said to me, did you, did you write this book just so you could do this one chapter? And that's, <laughs> and, that's I, and I said, a hundred percent. I mean, this is, this is generally true. I didn't know if I was going to get Larry David at the beginning, but when I finally got him on the phone, he couldn't have been nicer um, and couldn't have been more helpful. Uh, he was really into it too. And you know, I mean, you know, Larry David, if you, if you, if you followed Seinfeld or follow Curb Your Enthusiasm, you know, what kind of a, diehard New York sports fan he is, even though, you know, living out in Los Angeles now. But um, yeah, it was great. When I got him on the phone, I was trying to explain to him what I was doing and who I was. And in that Larry voice, he said, you know, Peter, I know exactly who you are. I used to listen to you on the Daily News fifth inning (laughs) with John and Michael and Susan Walvin. And um, and he even said to me, and this made my whole summer, because, as you know, I was I was laid off uh, in 2018 by the Daily News. I was out of work most of last year. And um, and he said to me that uh, that he uh, unsubscribed from the Daily News when uh, when I and several of my colleagues got let go. So that kind of that kind of made my summer. Um, but talking to him was a lot of fun. I just really wanted to go through all the kind of machinations of him getting George Steinbrenner's approval to use his name and likeness in the in the show in Seinfeld for several seasons. Um, just how it came about, how he how they decided to to get. Uh, to make that George Costanza's next job. And he was like, what kind of job, what job would I want if I were George? And he said that he always wanted to work for the Yankees growing up in, uh, in Sheepshead Bay. So he, um, so he, they decided, they decided to, to write it into the, into the series that George would work for the Yankees. And uh, he told me some great stories about interactions with, with uh, George Steinbrenner as well. Um, he said that, uh, that, you know, there was one scene, uh, there was one episode where George actually flew out to California and filmed a couple of scenes with Julia Louis-Dreyfus and uh, and they had to cut it. It just didn't work. They didn't think it was they didn't think it worked well. Larry and Jerry had to call George and tell him that he was getting cut from the show. Um, you know, they just felt like it worked better with, you know, showing George from behind and Larry doing the voice. Sure. Um, but they had to call George and tell him. And, you know, George actually was 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 okay with it but he uh it's funny like and I talked to Hal about this too George was always said that his grandchildren thought it was cooler that he was in that he was a character a character in Seinfeld than anything he ever did in, anything else he ever did in his life including owning the Yankees so his family were were big fans of it so that's why George decided to do it um but but let's face it uh Larry and the and the writers of Seinfeld really kind of took it to extremes with how they wanted to you know, take take George and just make it a complete caricature of himself. It's kind of fitting because Larry himself said he knows you from the Daily News Fifth on the radio as opposed to everything you write. And, of course. Uh, and uh, George's uh, family knows him from Seinfeld. Uh, it's it's a very entertaining chapter and all the uh, other, other ones are too. Informative, entertaining. Like I said, it's the kind of book that you don't have to sit down and, and you know, uh, read in one fell swoop and think you have to digest three or four hundred pages uh, little at a time depending on what your mood is and who you want to read about I- I'm curious if you're going to write this book 10 years from now who are the Yankees you see that are making this top 50 and who gets knocked out because of it uh, as you know I made the George Costanza chapter number 49 I didn't want to end the book with that but I wanted to end the book 
with this new generation as yeah. they as they kind of move towards their goal uh, of winning a World Series. So whether it's Aaron Judge, hopefully for his sake that he can stay healthy and stay on the field um, once baseball resumes, um, I, I would think he would be the one. Garrett Cole obviously now has signed a nine a nine year deal, so um, so he would certainly be one that you would think could could be in the long term mix. Uh, for for that as well, um, but I but I wanted to make the the baby bombers chapter fifty as kind of a, a jumping off point to the you know to the to to what 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 the future holds with this organization. You covered the Yankees in a very important part of their history, so and that helped you write this book in a great uh, in a great bit, I would think. Uh, but you were on the beat from nineteen ninety seven to ninety nine, and obviously championship years, the the last dynasty. Uh, you were right in the middle of it, and I'm curious about what you think of that era now, as you got a chance to look back on it, having gone through it and knowing what a ride it was at the time. And now that you look back 20 years later, what do you think of it? Well, I mean, think about this, right? I, I look at it this way. 96 through 2000, they won four championships in five years. And they and they came within a Luis Gonzalez bloop of winning another one in 2001. I mean, you have to look back on it as one of the great I, – I, to me, it's one of the great uh, eras in Yankee history. The, you know, those – those previous eras in the in the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s, they didn't have to they didn't have to play three rounds of playoffs and they didn't have to, um, you know, win 11 games to win the World Series. They went to the went, they would they'd win the American League and go directly to the World Series. And I'm not taking anything away from the, all those championships. Yep. Obviously, it's it's an it was an amazing dynasty for in, in several different forms. Um, but those 90s, those late 90s teams under Joe Torre, uh, for me, are the is the best the best baseball dynasty, certainly of the last you know, 30, 40 years. I'm curious how you feel about this, because as we've watched the Yankees try and fail to uh, pile championships onto their ledger these last few years, you know, you, I, you've heard it too. Uh, we've helped create it. The, uh, the narrative that they've failed, that uh, something's missing and something's wrong and something's a change. But I, but I look at how close they come sometimes and how good they are. And it's just sometimes the circumstances of the games uh, you know, Mariano Rivera famously used to tell us, you know, that's baseball. You can do nothing. But I think back to those dynasty era teams, and I think a lot of times we forget, and maybe fans forget, how close they came to not winning many of those championships. In 96, they're down two games to none. They're down two games to one and trailing 6 nothing in game four to the Braves. Uh, in 98, they're losing two games to one in the ALCS to Cleveland. They've got a rusty El Duque who hasn't pitched in, what, 12 or 13 days and, and, and facing a juggernaut Indians team that just went to the World Series the year before. They had to come from behind in the two playoff series in 2000 before they got to the World Series. They came so close, Pete, to winning maybe only one, if that, during the course of this run. I think we fail to look at sometimes and say, wow, those guys are great at winning. There's just a little bit of luck here and there that has to go on their side that maybe ha they haven't been as fortunate enough to get, even though they have been talented over the course, many times over the course of the last 15 years. Yeah, I think that's true of, of any sport, really. To win championships, a lot has to break right for you. Um, but it wasn't just luck that those teams won. I mean, they came up with with clutch hits when they needed to. Uh, even in the World Series, they lost in 2001. I mean, I, I, to me, those two nights in Game Four and Game Five against Arizona never felt anything like that at the stadium. I really, I honestly felt like the stadium was going to fall down yeah. 
in those in those two ninth innings. And even though they went on to lose that World Series, a lot of guys actually consider those moments among the among the best moments of that era because everything that happened, uh, you know, earlier in that year with September 11th and George, uh, George W. Bush throwing out the first pitch at the stadium and mm-hmm. uh, you know falling behind and 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 coming back at the basically the same way on back to back nights against the same reliever. Uh, the home runs by Tino and Brocious, um, and then going on to win both of those, even though they ended up losing that World Series. Those, that's one that really stands out. But you're right; there's a lot has to go right to win those World Series. But you know what? They came up with the with the big moments when they had to in every one of those series. So, uh, in this time now, when we're looking back so much at past sports and we're watching old games on TV, and I'm finding old games on YouTube, we're playing old games on the radio. Uh, we're, we're writing about a lot of things from the past because, you know, we, we obviously we don't have uh, much going on to talk about right now. One of the things that you've chosen, and as many times as you and I sat in a clubhouse or in a field or on a press box and talked about movies and TV, you're the perfect guy for this. You're And, you, and you're picking movies in the post and uh, making your movie recommendations, all sp- sports related. This isn't obviously the right circumstance for you to find this niche and get it in the New York Post every day. But if we put that part of it aside right now, how much fun is it to uh, to write about sports movies and, uh, and and just kind of pick this part of your brain out in the paper every day? It's been, it's been a lot of fun. I mean, obviously, we all want to get back to some sort of normalcy and nobody likes the circumstances that that we that we're in as a country and and especially in new york um but uh, i'm just trying to create a diversion for people really you know as people are sitting in their homes and not you know not a lot to do on some days i mean look a lot of people have seen a lot of the movies that i'm recommending but it also spurs a decent debate i get people on twitter telling me that they think the movie's terrible or that they love it or why don't you do this movie or this baseball movie's better than that baseball movie um but it's been a lot of fun. We've done some some book recommendations too. We've done some TV. I was a big fan of Sports Night and Brock Meyer and, yeah. and Friday Night Lights, and so we've done a few of those. Um, but we have to try to find ones that are streaming somewhere, whether they're on Amazon or or Hulu or Netflix. Like I, I a couple of years ago, I did a big feature for the Post on The White Shadow, which was one of my favorite TV shows growing up. Uh, but it's not streaming on any of the big three uh, services right now. So we, so we, I couldn't do that as one of the recommendations, which is, uh, disappointing for me because that's one of my favorite shows of all time, especially about sports. Um, but yeah, there's so many, I mean, we're only like three and a half weeks into this and I'm not close to running out of ideas of what movies I want to do. People will say to me, why don't you do this one next? Or why don't you do that one next? Um, so I'm trying to keep it, keep a nice balance, different sports. Um, you know, got some cycling in there with breaking away and, and, you know, so, you know, like to do some, some kind of off, you know, off the beaten path ones too. I mean, obviously I have, I mean, I haven't even gotten to big ones like major league and a league of their own and mm-hmm. movies like that yet, as I'm trying to kind of mix it up and not just have the blockbusters. Cause I, we're, we're kind of framing it as maybe these are movies that were before your time, or maybe they, these were movies that kind of slipped through the cracks. But like the other day I did the hustler, the billiards movie mm-hmm. with the original in 1961 with Paul Newman and Jackie Gleason, which was a favorite of mine. And, and even, and even the sequel 25 years later, uh, color of money so um you know there's different things and there's debates too on what's a sports movie you mentioned reggie jackson in in england and yeah. i actually for me I, I know it's not a sports movie the first hour has nothing to do with baseball but the last 20 minutes of the naked gun are one of, it's, it might be the the greatest baseball scene ever in a movie so i did that one day and it's funny i know you asked reggie about uh 
about whether they would even let him in the country. Yeah, in we had some fun with that. Yeah, which was which was a fun uh, a fun interview. And Reggie played along, which was fun. Um, but yeah, there's so many different ways to go with it. There are so many books to talk about to recommend. Uh, but yeah, we do one a day, and uh, it's it's online and in and in the paper. And uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun so far. It's keeping me busy, definitely. I want to know. Uh, I want to know one movie that uh, you like that most other people don't. And for me, I'll tell you, it's for love of the game. Uh, it takes a lot of hits for you know, all the various plot issues, but anytime for love of the game, it comes on. I treat it as if I've just turned on a perfect game and I have to see if he's going to finish it. Of course he's going to finish it. I've seen it. I've seen it end, but um, that's the one for me that kind of, yeah, I see the faults in it, but I still kind of like it enough to always leave it on when it comes on. Yeah, that's a good one. Just real quick before I give you my answer. um, Good trivia question. If you remember from the, from the 99 Yankees, um, Ricky right. Lede, Mike Buddy, and Scott Pose appeared in that movie. Yeah. And Costner also got in touch with David Cohn after David Cohn's perfect game. I have the story in my book. Um, you know, Costner was an played an aging pitcher yep. uh, that, that throws a perfect game at Yankee Stadium. And later, and the book came out the summer of '99, which is the summer that David Cohn threw the perfect game as an age, as an aging pitcher. You know, at, at Yankee Stadium. So they they kind of shared that. Uh, they kind of shared that together. Uh, David was telling me uh, about the about the call he received from Costner on it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Um, it is it, it is a it is kind of a love story to Yankee Stadium too when you see it because uh, you know obviously the building's not there anymore. It's fun to see that event have, take place there. So, one movie you like that most other people don't. Mm, that's a good one. Um, I mean, some of them are so bad that I, I like them because they're because they're because of, of their terribleness, like uh, maybe like Necessary Roughness. I, I liked a lot. <laughs> the Replacements was another football sure. movie that, that I get a kick out of. Um, it's funny, though, because, you know, I've 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 mentioned in the in, in these uh, articles and also on Twitter. I don't I don't shy away from these arguments with people, but you get a lot of younger guys who tell me that like Rookie of the Year or Little Big League was their sure. favorite baseball movie. And I'm like. Boy, there's like 20 other baseball movies that are better than <laughs> better than those movies. Um, even I, I took a lot of heat for uh, when I ranked I ranked the eight Rocky movies, including sure. the two Creed movies, and I had Rocky Four rated number seven out of the eight. And people were telling me that I was crazy and that I was un-American and all that <laughs> sort of stuff. And I'm sorry, to me it's just a it's just a contrived propaganda type movie and. Uh, it, it does. I'm sorry. That one doesn't do it for me. I love the Rocky series. I loved I loved uh, the first Creed movie when it came out. I, you know, the, obviously the first Rocky was the first sports movie to ever win Best Picture. So, I mean, I, you know, I revere that one. But uh, Rocky Four to me, to me is I will say this. It, Rocky Four is lucky that Rocky Five came out or else Rocky Four would be. <laughs> I, uh, I always uh, tell our buddy Mark Feinstein, it's 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 a 90 minute music video is all it really is. Oh, a lot of Survivor soundtrack. Yeah. Well, that's in the post. How often are uh, are the movie recommendations coming? Is every day. Every day, movie recommendations. Yeah, seven, seven days a week. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Uh, we'll look for that too. And the book is obviously out. Uh, the Big Fifty, New York Yankees. Uh, I, I want to close with you on this. You, you work for the New York Post. You started your career at the New York Post. Uh, in between with the Daily News, uh, but doesn't matter where you work. Uh, in New York these days, we all know what a tough time we're all going through, and many people have been touched in different ways. Uh, and we just found out very recently uh, the passing of Anthony Causey, the the longtime photographer for the New York Post. And just the outpouring we've seen uh, on social media since uh, he passed, 
it's amazing to me because we say a lot of times, Pete, that, oh, he was the greatest guy. He was the best guy. Always had a smile. That's the real vibe we're getting right now because uh, it is so true with how Anthony made all of us feel when we saw him. And his death due to coronavirus, uh, that's hitting all of us in this industry very hard. It was just it was a it was a crushing couple of days um, when we learned about Anthony's passing. We knew that he'd been in the hospital for a few weeks uh, with the coronavirus, and it, it just floored all of us. Um, I'm, I was in the unique position of being both a direct competitor uh, at, when I was at the Daily News and and uh, and a colleague uh, since I've been at the Post uh, since October. And um, you know, Anthony was just a, he was just a larger than life, genuine life of the party, one of a kind type of guy, um, as great as he was at his job. And you might, people might think it's cliche to say, but he was just the, just the best person, like greeted everybody with a smile, with an anecdote, with a question about your family. Just every time you saw him, you felt about, you felt better about, about your day, um, with, after your interaction with him, who's just one of those guys that, that it's, it's hard to explain, but he, you know, he would just, he would, he would always be willing to do stuff for other people. You, you've seen stories uh, in the days after his passing about writers from different papers and him offering to take to come to their kids' Little League games and take photos for free. And, um, you know, celebrities loved him. Players loved him. I mean, you saw, like, Derek Jeter even, you know, there's that iconic photo of Jeter walking down the runway at the old stadium and tapping the Joe DiMaggio, I want to thank the good Lord for making me a Yankee sign. And Anthony got that photo. He was the one that, that got that photo. It's one of the iconic pictures. And Jeter posted on his Facebook, um, you know, his his condolences and, and his uh, feelings over the loss of Anthony. And, and you saw it from other athletes, too, in New York. Noah Syndergaard, Curtis Granderson, Didi Gregorius, uh, Justin Tuck of the Giants, um, Brody Van Wagenen of the Mets. Um, just a lot of just kind of an outpouring of emotion um, for a guy who touched a lot of lives. I and mean, this is a guy who whether he's on the floor, at, you know, at the floor at the garden or, or in the photo booth right next to the Yankee dugout. This is, the, you know, these are the guys that in, actually interact with the players, you know, during games and before games while they're warming up. And, uh, you know, you never heard a story of, of, you know, somebody, a player or anybody blowing Anthony off. That's, that's how well-liked he was. And it says a lot about the person that he was um, to see the outpouring of emotion from not only from his, his friends and colleagues, but from from the the people that we cover and from and from the people that we compete with at other outlets uh it's really it, it, it was really kind of a an overwhelming uh couple of days um but uh it was really beautiful to see the um the reaction that he got we all feel so much for his he's got such a young family he's got two children five and two and uh and his and his wife he has beautiful family and uh you know they uh a family member uh, set up a, a GoFundMe page for him. You can you can find it on the on the Post website. You can find it on the GoFundMe. It had raised this this will tell you about Anthony, but it raised over a hundred thousand dollars in the first twelve hours of being up, yeah. and it, it just shows you what he meant to people. And uh, I, I don't I don't think you could uh, minimize what he what he meant to all of us, and such a big part of the New York sports scene for for twenty five years and. You know his work. His work will live on. I mean, I, I'm, I'm. I hope that people now will seek out some of his great f photos over the years. You know, even celebrities at uh, Celebrity Row at the Garden. Uh, 
you know, loved Anthony Causey and would interact with him and ask him for pictures and he would send them to him and send them to send them to, you know, to these different celebrities. And um, yeah, just really, just really a, a, a devastating uh, couple of days for all of us. Yeah, I thought, I mean, beyond how wonderful and warm a person he was, he was so good at what he did. I mean, he's legendary and his work is going to live on. I think we're going to see some of these in various places. But, you know, the, the thought that popped into my head yesterday was that, you know, he simply saw the world differently than the rest of us, and it showed in his work and in the way he treated people. And, and you know, his eye um, was was better than you know anybody else, and it worked for his profession because he he excelled at it and gave us images that we're going to remember forever. Uh, the people who don't know him will remember forever. The people who do know him will remember him forever because of how warm and wonderful he was. Absolutely. He knew where to be to get the, to get the picture. Uh, there was a, a great picture of, of Eli Manning hugging his uh, hugging his daughter after his final game last season with the Giants. And Anthony was in the exact right spot to get the to get the embraces. You know, what's funny coming, about that picture? Me, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I wanted to point this out. If you see that picture, you can see the security is roping off everybody from uh, Eli and his kids. Yet there is Anthony perfectly positioned in front as if he's standing there right with them and capturing that moment as if he's the one who's been able to break through this barrier and get you that picture. It's so true. And, he, you know, he's the kind of guy who knew what to look for. You know, he would if you covered a Giants practice or a Jets practice, he would come in before the practice and say, you know, what are you looking for today? Who do you need me to shoot? You know, who do you need me to 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 track down on the field? And he would always he would never miss the shot. You know, he was the kind of guy who always got the was always in the right place at the right time. And that's not that's not a, a byproduct of luck. That's knowing how to do that job. And he was and he was fantastic at it. And uh, I mean, I'm glad to say that I was able to, to work with him. But even if I didn't, I feel like we still would have been really good friends because that's just how we made everybody feel. Absolutely did. Um, and you mentioned that GoFundMe page. Uh, if people go to the New York Post website, uh, you'll be able to find a link to that. Uh, Pete, the book is the big 50 New York Yankees from Triumph Books. Good luck with that. And uh, thanks for sharing some time with me. Thanks so much, Sweeney. I appreciate you having me on. My thanks again to Peter Body of the New York Post. His book, The Big 50 New York Yankees, is available now from Triumph Books. Anthony Causey, Touched so many lives on the New York sports scene. All you have to do is go through the New York media Twitter feeds to know how much we all loved and missed him. Please say a prayer for his wife and two young children and add it to the prayers for all the victims and the sick during this terrible time in our lives. Thank you all who come here to be entertained for just a little while. You can check out the 30 with Murdy archive at radio.com or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe and review and all that jazz. And until next time, please stay safe, everyone. I'm Sweeney Murdy. Thank you for listening. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.